นโมทัสสะบโกวะทัวรหัตัวสัมมาสัมบุทัสสะนโมทัสสะบโกวะทัวรหัตัวสัมมาสัมบุทัสสะนโมทัสสะบโกวะทัวรหัตัวสัมมาสัมบุทัสสะพุทธังธรรมังสังฆังนามัสสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสดีสวัสด
and the way the Buddha gives emphasis to this. One of the things that strikes me in contemplating this um, formulation of the stanza and the place of, of evil is if we don't recognize that which is evil, then how are we going to protect ourselves from it? Mm. Yeah. The difficulty, it seems to me, that people have with contemplating evil is the way we make a self out of everything. And of course we don't like to think that I am evil. But the Buddha is not talking about evil as being a self. And the Buddha, as you all know, talked about impulses, intentions, evil impulses. And we've got wholesome impulses like we are good impulses, like the impulse to selflessness, the impulse to generosity, the impulse to goodness. And we're very happy to talk about that as, oh, that's very good, or that's goodness, and that's beautiful. And why can't we talk about that which is not beautiful, that which is bad, and that which is evil? And I suspect it's something to do with this making a self out of everything and the concern that that uh, labelling or concretizing somebody as evil. Well, the Buddha didn't have any problem of talking about that person as a fool or that as a bad person. And Of course, the Buddha knew that ultimately there's no such thing as a person. But when a person is identified with an evil impulse, then they become a bad person. Now, that doesn't mean to say that we hate them. You know, there is this idea... And, some religious teachings that that you can hate evil but not hate the evildoer. And um, that sounds to me like people who think too much talking. Hating evil, not hating the evildoer is an interesting theory, but can anybody really do that? The Buddha didn't want us to hate evil. He said nothing is sorted out by hating, never. Never by hatred is hatred conquered, but by readiness to love alone. And I'm a part of this. So we're not talking about hating evil. What's important is that we understand evil. That when there is an evil impulse, what is evil? You know, like often in Buddhist scriptures it talks about Mara, the evil one. And evil is that which destroys goodness. It's that which obstructs goodness. It's that which obstructs light. It's the darkness that obstructs light, wants to destroy light. Yeah. What was it that brought about the Holocaust? What was it that brought about the Holocaust? What was it that happened when Idi Amin was around? What was it that Gaddafi was up to? And what was it that Mao Zedong was doing? Yeah. Yeah. Tens of thousands, if not millions of people massacred because human beings engaged in evil impulses and evil acts were committed. Now, some people who live in affluence and, and possibly uh, caught up in, in idealistic notions about life maybe don't even want to study about uh, these evil acts and these evil impulses. But to not study them and to not be aware of them actually can leave us very naive and vulnerable. 
And one of the things that happens if we do that is that we become more ignorant. We're not growing in awareness, but more ignorant, more unaware of the evil impulses in our own hearts and minds. And we can start seeing as evil out there or badness out there. Other people, but not us. So the acknowledgement, first the acknowledgement of that which is unskillful, unwholesome, the bad stuff, to see it as such. You know, like we don't have any problems with, with identifying uh, cyanide as poison. Cyanide is poison. But we don't hate cyanide. Yeah. On the mental realm, yeah, the impulse to kill is like cyanide. It's poison. It's bad stuff. It destroys goodness. Yeah. Somebody can be doing all sorts of good things, and you know, like David Dasu, he had all sorts of good things going for him, but he was taken over by evil impulses. He wanted to be in charge of the Sangha. You know, that power-hungry impulse took over his heart and mind, and then he started doing evil acts as a result. And then the goodness was destroyed. So in Buddhism we... We talk about Mara, the evil one, as that which destroys goodness. And so recognizing it is a way of protecting ourselves from it, taking us over, and also protects us from projecting it out into others. You know, those, the access of evil, they are evil, as if we don't have evil impulses within ourselves. So the instruction, the encouragement from the Buddha is not to hate evil, but to understand, to understand those impulses that, if followed, destroy goodness. And then also the other aspect of that is the ability to restrain ourselves, to, to not follow these impulses. So this is, as far as I'm concerned, this occasion of the 1250 arahants coming to see the Buddha, they, they didn't need teaching, but uh, this is like a celebratory declaration of this is the training, this is the path that the Buddha gave on this occasion. And thankfully it was preserved and reverberations of that event uh, 2,600 and something years ago are still with us today. And starting off with this... Um, learning how to recognize that which is unwholesome, that which is those acts that are unskillful, that which is bad within us, and then cultivating the ability to say no to it. It's like on a practical level, we can see it in everyday life, that you know, like if you're redecorating a house or repainting a house, you don't just go and slap the paint on, you can spend a lot of, spend a lot of money on uh, buying nice new paint, but if you don't clean out that which is old or that which is rotten first, then the new paint's not going to stick. Or the image that Ajahn Chah used to give, which was if you're going to dye cloth, first you've got to wash the cloth. You've got to have clean cloth. And if the cloth is, is soiled or dirty in some way, you can put all this effort into dyeing it, but then the first time you wash it or the first time it rains and all the dye disappears because the dye chemical doesn't actually stick 
doesn't take to the cloth. For that to reaction to take place, for the chemical to take to the cloth, for the cloth to really absorb and benefit, you've got to first clean it. And so it is with the heart. First we've got to remove that which is bad, recognize that which is unwholesome, and exercise restraint with regards to it. So the not doing of that which is bad. Yeah. I was talking to uh, somebody recently who's um, spent a lot of time studying, training, and uh, child development. And, and we were discussing this, this, um, the stages of development that children go through. And, and one of the things is, is what's known generally as the, the terrible twos where children just say no to everything. And I was discussing this with regards to spiritual development and, and the importance of being able to say no first so we can say yes later on. And, and this person was agreeing absolutely that, for instance, if children grow up and are going through this stage of, of exercising this ability to say no, say, no, this is not okay with me that if at that stage of development the parents shame the child or don't let the child go through that, humiliate the child and punish the child for exercising this ability to say no, it's well understood, and sadly it is the case, that children grow up into often being adults who don't have a decent sense of boundaries. They tend to possibly can manifest as, as tending to merge with other people and situations, and or it could also lead to places where people don't know how to say yes in a responsible way, which, for instance, could lead to all sorts of addictions. There's a, another expression of the consequence of not going through this in a in a suitable, okay, good enough way in, in the realm of uh, relationships where people grow up and. And they're just too scared to come out of themselves and meet anybody else. Uh, learning how to say no, which was a stage of development, is a stage of development for children, didn't happen in a good enough way. And so the person grows up, in fact, damaged. Now, in the uh, spiritual life, uh, similarly, it's the case that... Uh, if we don't grow up in a good enough way, if we don't get the training properly, then we can be busy putting all sorts of effort into our practice and thinking that we're getting getting spiritual when, when in fact we're getting more vulnerable. I was talking to somebody the other day and they, they mentioned to me how, how they didn't like the way that we presented the five precepts with, I undertake the train to refrain from killing living beings. I undertake the train to refrain from taking that which is not given, and so on. This undertaking the train to refrain, this person was saying, well, I prefer to, to recite the precepts as I undertake the training to protect all living beings. And I thought about that, and I thought, well, that, that sounds very nice, that is very nice, you know, I undertake the train to protect all living beings. But that's not the same thing as I undertake the training to recognize and inhibit that within me which wants to harm all living beings. 
And there is, I suspect, a, a development in some areas of society where it's you know, like a positivity, just wanting to be nice about everything. And some things in life are not nice. You know, mostly death is not nice. Yeah. Mostly sickness is not nice. Just focusing on nice is not the same thing as getting spiritual, at least not as far as the Buddha was concerned. This is not the path of purification. This is not cultivating the way. Yes, undertaking the training to protect all living beings, that's kusalasa upasampada, that's cultivating that which is good, which indeed is to be encouraged. But it's also to be encouraged and to be recognized the place of restraining that which is, is not good within ourselves. Yeah. I was speaking the other day about the uh, situation where somebody was saying how you know, they didn't know how much food they should eat and if they ate any less, they would feel hungry. And I commented at the time, they said, so, you know, what's wrong with feeling hungry? And, and uh, we had a good, useful conversation. And, but it seemed to me to be, on this occasion, there's an assumption that there's something really wrong about feeling hungry. Actually, before we know the right amount of food, the right amount of food, before we know how to say yes to our appetite to eat, it's probably the case that we need to learn to say no to it first. Say, no, actually, I'll eat a little less. I'll speak a little less. I'll sleep a little less. Not because we're torturing ourselves, but so that we can then relax into the impulse to say yes in a way that is not going to mean we get lost. We're not going to lose ourselves. Now, similarly, we were discussing the other day the, uh, the the monastic training convention that we have of of not standing out, not being special. Now, of course, all of us are different. All of us, uh, it's true to some degree that we all have a, a unique configuration that we're engaged with here. But the impulse, the tendency to promote ourselves as being unique to express ourselves as being different, where is that coming from? All deluded egos think they're special. That's what makes us all the same. We all think we're special. We do. I do. I think I'm special. You know, I suffer more than, than Ajahn Punyo does. <laughs> we all think that we're special. So part of the important part of the training is first we learn to say no to our impulses to do things differently. You know, basic monastic training. You wear your robes the same as you wear. Well, I want to wear my robes a little bit different. And I remember there was an incident way, way back where you know, some of you heard of Jack Cornfield, who was a monk with Ajahn Shah for a, a period of time. And, and Jack was relating how he had a, a dream one night where he, he wanted to tie-dye his jiwang. He wanted to have a rainbow-coloured jiwan. <laughs> he didn't want to have one of the kind of brown, boring, or he wanted something really, really hippy, really beautiful. <laughs> well, there's nothing wrong with that. That's normal. That's what the deluded ego wants. It wants to be seen as special. But presumably all of us have seen already that uh, cultivating that identity is not the path to liberation. So we accept this training. Don't be special. 
don't be spiritual, just can we fit in? Uh, can we be nobody? Is that uh, possible for us? Huh? So the exercising the ability to say no, not because it's some sort of massive moral injunction we're imposing on ourselves, but so we are able to say yes. And this is very much part of the second line of stanza, kusalasa upasampada, getting in touch with the ability to feel the ability to, to do good. To, to the ability to engage in that which is good, to feel confident about doing that which is good, even if it's difficult, if it's good, to have confidence, to have daring to do it. You know, maybe before we have that strength to engage in that which is wholesome and good, we need to put more effort into restraining that which is not good, inhibiting that, so appreciating that principle. And also appreciating with regards to this kusalasa upasampada, doing that which is good, to understand that the work, the really difficult work of purification of the heart, which is the third line of this stanza, the really difficult work of directing our attention in just the right way with the right intensity at the right time to be able to undo the knots, the tangles of delusion which is the self-obsession which we all suffer from to do this difficult work we need a huge storehouse of goodness we need to feel confident in our ability to do good Somebody was telling me the other day how hard they were trying to to confront the darkness within them, that they these these unwholesome impulses, this shadowy stuff and and these obstructions. I forget the word that he was using actually, but something to I'm really trying to confront the obstructions and in my practice and here we are on retreat, this winter retreat time is a precious opportunity and absolutely, yeah. There is a time to really face eye to eye the, those things that are trying to obstruct us in, in our efforts to realize liberation. But the timing is terribly important. The timing and the skillfulness that if we haven't prepared ourselves with enough goodness if we don't have enough authentic, natural well-being, if we don't feel good about ourselves, if we don't feel good about life, if we don't appreciate, if we're not in tune with the goodness that we already have, if it doesn't happen automatically that we recognize goodness, when somebody makes an offering of generosity to and we we see the goodness of their generosity. If that doesn't happen, if all we see is our, you know, do I want it or do I not want it? That lacking of appreciation. Or, or when there's an opportunity to exercise skillfulness within our own hearts and we don't recognize that naturally. Yeah. We need to work on those things. This is kusalasa upasampada. 
really doing, not missing an opportunity to cultivate good. Even if it's just a little small moment. And sometimes there's you know, big things that we could be taking on that are aspirations for wholesomeness, for goodness, for virtue. But uh, maybe also it's just the little moments that matter. You know, sometimes we can get a little carried away with heroic efforts in practice and forgetting that you know, incremental moments of goodness, just, just taking the time to say good morning to somebody or, or uh, taking the time to say I'm sorry if we've been insensitive. Saying, oh, they'll get over it, whatever, it's their karma. So, well, we could do that and it may be their karma, that's true. But that doesn't mean to say that it's kusalasa upasampa, that we're cultivating goodness. This, this ability that, again, as with the, the spiritual muscle of restraint with regards to that which is unwholesome, this is the spiritual muscle to exercise, to engage, to do that which is good, that which is wholesome. And, you know, so I gave the example recently of of how important it is to build up the right muscles in the body and you know, we're talking about the core muscles and, and the belly that we can be developing all sorts of other muscles but if we don't develop the right muscles in the right way well then our breathing is going to be inhibited our walking is going to be inhibited our sitting posture is going to be inhibited so thankfully we have um, people in the community who can help us with learning these exercises and also thankfully we have the Buddha's encouragement with this very easy to remember but profoundly important presentation of the way. The not doing of that which is evil. The cultivation of that which is good. And then the third line, purification of the heart. The image, one of the images that comes to my mind with this purification is you know, we can be busy restraining unwholesome impulses and, and exercising our ability to do good, uh, volunteering to do the dishes, being on time for things, paying attention to the well-being of other people in the community, being kind to the lay people who visit the monastery. We can be busy doing all of these uh, practices, but what we may not notice is the sense of me doing it, the conceited view of me doing practice. And, and the Buddha was very clear about how important it is to pay attention to this, to be careful that we're not just getting puffed up with the sense of some sort of inflated spiritual ego. We're so busy being good that we become offensive. Offensive in our goodness. One of the ways that we can protect ourselves against this risk is to dwell on, to regularly dwell on the how indebted we are to others, to cultivate humility. Now, we're not talking about some sort of slimy, synthetic humility, thoroughly unattractive, but genuine humility that acknowledges our indebtedness to others, that we can't do it on our own. You know, for the first 
10, 15 years of our life, if we didn't have somebody looking after us, there's a good chance we wouldn't have survived. You know? And this is, we're not talking here about a few weeks or a few months, we're talking about 10 years, <laughs> 10, 15 years of having to be looked after. You know, that's a lot of effort, that's a lot of care, that's a lot of attention from our parents and our teachers, you know, people who educated us, and, and even now also, you know, a lot of things. You know, how often do we turn to medicine, you know, even just for a headache? You know, you know, you've got some sort of bacterial infection, you know, very simple medical remedies, all the work that went into producing or discovering those remedies, and the sacrifice, the huge sacrifice on the part of the people who did the research and produced these medicines. And similarly, of course, in the spiritual realm, the huge sacrifice and the effort that those teachers who have maintained these teachings and have chosen to share them with us to dwell on this, to really make much of it, to bow down to our teachers, to remember, to remember how indebted we are to our parents and to our teachers is one way of nurturing a sense of humility. And then also another aspect of this is, is to reflect on how able are we to ask for help when we need it. Yeah. This, is, this is not a thing that... Um, that blokes are very good at, you know, even just on a everyday thing like, you know, driving around in town and refusing to ask somebody directions. You know, there's evidence that blokes just don't do it. They, you know, I can sort it out. They say, well, that assertive, daring spirit, of course, is uh, very important. And and if the Buddha and the great teachers didn't have that uh, that daring spirit, then they probably wouldn't have realised the Dhamma. But they didn't just have that daring spirit. Thankfully, they also had the humility, which meant that when they did ask, need help, they could ask for it. And so when we come across that um, example and others, to make that conscious, to appreciate the, the, the beauty of humility and to contemplate for ourselves, do I have that ability? If I need help, can I go to somebody and say, I need help? Can I ask for what I need? Yeah. Uh, sometimes, again, we could go into talking about child development, but uh, you don't need to think about it very far to realize that actually the, a lot of people get so, so shamed in their early life and so, so wounded that, that uh, they become rigid and they grow up feeling like they're not allowed to ask for anything. Sometimes this gets transferred into the spiritual world. You, know, you kind of demonize desire as if having some sort of desire, any sort of desire is unwholesome. Well, well, if we don't have the desire for liberation, then we're seriously disadvantaged. If we don't know how to go to the teacher and say, could I have a cup of tea? Could we talk about practice? Then we're similarly seriously disadvantaged. So one way of honoring this teaching of purification of the heart that is protecting ourselves from the inflation of self-importance is to contemplate humility. It's like a taint that even when we're restraining ourselves from that which is unwholesome, even when we're cultivating that which is wholesome, there can also be a building up of the sense of me, 
which is getting in the way. And then the last line of this stanza is etang bhutanasasana. This is the teaching of all the awakened ones. So it's a it's not a very complicated teaching, but because it's simple, it doesn't mean to say that it's easy to do. So thank you very much this evening for your attention. Namaya namo bhagavate vasudevaya.